Okay, welcome. It gives me very great pleasure to welcome you to this uh, Middle East Center event with uh, Mr. Wael Ghanim. Uh, my name is uh, John Chalcroft. I'm a reader in the Department of Government here at LSE. I do the history of the modern Middle East, social movements, labor migration, and so on. The idea for tonight was that we would um, spend about 40 minutes uh, with myself having a discussion with uh, Wael Ghanim, particularly about this uh, gripping uh, social biography, uh, his perspective on the revolution in Egypt, and, and then to spend about another 20 minutes raising uh, some of the questions that, that uh, the book uh, uh, raises more generally. And then there can be a, a question and answer sec uh, session for about 40 minutes uh, with, with the audience. You can use, and please do use, the Twitter hashtag, uh, hash LSE Rev2 for this event. You know, it'll be disappointing if an event on Revolution uh, 2.0, we don't have lots of Twittering, and uh, I'm expecting YL to have many interruptions, and he's going to be on his you know, various devices for at least half of this event. Uh, and, um, you know, it's a very great pleasure to welcome uh, Wael Ghanim here tonight. He's, uh, he's well known by now. He was born in Cairo in 1980. He lived the first 13 years of his life in Saudi Arabia. He studied back at school in Cairo, went on to university, became a prominent uh, internet entrepreneur. Then he was hired by Google as a regional uh, product manager uh, for the Middle East and North Africa. And then he went on to uh, become the admin for a famous uh, a website, that a Facebook page that became famous uh, called Kulluna Khalid Saeed. We're all Khalid Saeed. And this, the, the, the sorts of mobilizations that were clustered around this website then played a real role in the, in, in, in the uprisings that were there to follow. And, and you know, the dramatic moment in the, in Egypt, in the larger Arab world, and one which has also been inspiring in different ways across the world. So we can move straight to uh, the, the, what, what I wanted to do for the first 20 minutes was to, you know, this is the book that uh, Well has written. Uh, he's going to be signing it at the back. Uh, I did need to announce, please, can we have no uh, photography or videos uh, during this event uh, uh, for, for press or, or otherwise? And just before we get started, perhaps I will, can, if you'll let me just announce the, the next lecture in this series, which is uh, Professor Foez Gerges will, will give the next lecture, which is going to be called, it's, it's going to take place on February the 13th at 6.30 and it's called The Islamist Moment in the Middle East, Domestic and Geostrategic uh, Implications. So, welcome again. Perhaps if we just say, just, uh, I, I thought we could spend some time looking at this, the, 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 this social biography, because it's a gripping story and it gives us a sense of the twists and turns of, of, of your perspective on the kinds of activism that led up to January 2011. And perhaps when you read this book, one of the things that's remarkable 
is the very rapid and sudden uh, move that you made from someone who was working for Google, you were living in Dubai, you had uh, young children and a, and a family, and you, were, you, you weren't involved directly in politics or activism. And then there's a very rapid process of being drawn in to a certain kind of, 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 of posting uh, on a Facebook page and a certain kinds of, of mobilization. Can you give us a sense first, you know, during the 2000s, uh, you, you were most, you know, this is the time of the war on terror, the, the workers' movement in Egypt, the, the, the Kafaya movement, uh, but what was your, is it, is, is it correct to think of a, a rapid politicization or, or something of that kind that happened in 2010? Uh, well, I'm happy to be here, first of all, and I'm sorry, I feel like this group is isolated for some reason. I wish that we were in the middle. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> to start with, the, the book um, wasn't really a, historic, uh, a history book because I'm not a historian. It's just my personal experiences that I went through uh, from, um, from the time I, I started to, uh, um, to be interested in politics uh, until what happened on uh, 11th of February. Um, Basically, in, during the 2000 periods, I was the typical Egyptian um, who, was not, who was not happy with what was going on in, this in our country. Um, but there was no way out. Uh, all of us were, were not happy, but were either afraid or, um, or feeling that there is no hope, there is no alternative. Um, and that remained the case for so many years. I used to crack jokes on, uh, uh, on the internet anonymously. Like I, I designed a hotmail for Mubarak, I think, in, uh, in 2002, uh, making fun of him, uh, uh, saying that, for example, he's getting his orders from George, uh, uh, George W. Bush, and, uh, and he has $30 million in his bank account in, in Switzerland, which turns out to be much more yeah. uh, after that. $40 uh, billion, I think. Yeah. No, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think it's that, that figure as well. Um, but that, that was all about it. At the same time, there were a lot of brave Egyptians, I would call the, the frontliners, uh, which were the activists, uh, who decided that they can sacrifice much more than I would do uh, in order to see Egypt changing, uh, such as uh, the Kifaya movement or the 6th of April uh, young guys. They took to the streets and started basically paying the price but at the same time, moving a lot of us. Uh, I was monitoring. I, I mentioned in the book, for example, on, on 6th of April, 2008, when there was a big strike, um, and they were asking people not to go to work. I went to work. Uh, but I was uh, sympathizing a lot with it. I was very happy when I went to the streets of Cairo trying to convince myself that the streets are less crowded today. Probably many Egyptians have responded to this, despite the fact I was going to work personally. Um, but... In 2010, things, things kept going uh, really bad. Um, and in 2010, um, El Baradei uh, said that he is happy to get involved in, uh, in the Egyptian politics. Uh, I thought that would be a good moment. I found a lot of my friends uh, who I share a lot of common things with are thinking the same. Um, and uh, this young guy called Mahmoud Al-Hitta uh, created a, a group saying, we want Al-Baradi to be the next president of Egypt. You've been telling us there's no alternative to, you know, change cannot happen in Egypt because 
you know, who can compete with Mubarak? He's, he's the best of the best and no one has his experience, 30 years president. So when Al-Baradi came, uh, when Al-Baradi came, he gave hope to a lot of people and unintentionally, uh, there was no plans, I started getting interested in, in politics and that's, you know, things kept developing, developing in, in a very uh, uh, fast pace uh, and with a lot of, uh, spont you know, spontaneous behavior. I, I remember on 7th of January, um, I had sort of an argument with the other administrator because he posted a photo, uh, Abdurrahman Mansour. 2011? Yeah, 2011, okay. on right. 7th of January. Um, he posted a photo of the events on Tunisia. We have agreed, I yeah. told him, that we are not going to discuss the events of, in Tunisia until we see what happens because we do not want to depress people even further. Uh, so when he posted the photo, a lot of the comments were very negative. Like, are you calling for this? You know, this is what you guys want. You want to destabilize our country. So I deleted the photo and I wrote, you know, this page has nothing to do with the revolution. We are, you know, all what we do is increasing the awareness of the people. So um, it was very spontaneous. On the 14th, mm. it just happened. You put an invitation and people subscribed yeah. to it. Can I, can I go back a bit uh, sure. to... So but Baradei was inspiring in some way, but then, of course, came in June 2010 uh, Khalid Saeed. So what, what, what? That that took things to a different level, didn't it? Yeah, of course. I, El Baradei was 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 really inspiring. Um, the only problem was that he was a person, and um, I can say that now because you can always attack a person. I'm now after being exposed and people know who I am and who's the other administrator I got under a lot of attacks. So once you personalize the cause, a lot of people manage to get through uh, by attacking the, the individual proposing and questioning their intentions and so on. And I really liked uh, what Al-Baradi have said at that time that I'm not the Egyptian people's savior. Uh, the Egyptian people are the ones who will save themselves. So. Um, when uh, Khaled Saeed died, I was, uh, I was very frustrated, just like a lot of the Egyptian people uh, who got... Uh, can, you, can you say what happened to him? He was, uh, I assume everyone probably know here, but uh, he was brutally beaten up by two police officers uh, and he died um, on, on spot in, in the same place where they were arresting him. And the photo that we, we all saw on, on Facebook went viral uh, all over the internet uh, and people were very angry they related a lot to the uh, to the individual you know i would say unfortunately and fortunately uh, it's because he comes from a middle class a lot of people connected uh, with him um, there has been cases where other people die and the connection doesn't happen why did this connection happen god knows it's just the photo just spread all over the internet i was personally um, very angry and i thought we have to do something this cannot keep going and this regime is using the you know oppression through the, the security forces as a way to keep living. And we have to make sure uh, to kind of um, uh, uh, make sure that to kind of force them into respecting human rights right. and changing the, the approach, the way they deal with uh, Egyptians. Right. Um, so you took the decision then to post material which would highlight Khalid Saeed's plight and to create this Facebook page. Yeah, the f again it was very spontaneous. So I created the page and uh, I thought um, let's let's talk about it and I, I felt that I, my, my main job was to, to make his uh, uh, case a public case where everyone discusses and it wasn't just me to be very uh, um, uh, honest there were many other people who were very interested in the same cause 
and uh, there was another uh, Facebook page that was uh, that was created, the, you know, even one day before. In the first day, there was 36,000 people on that page. Right. Uh, and in three days, there was about 100,000 people, right. without any, uh, uh, hardly any marketing or right. uh, um, calls for it. And I was basically writing with, with the. Uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to have a talent of communicating with people, so I was. Uh, I was doing that with a lot of emotions and passion, and I was also uh, uh, blessed with a lot of uh, volunteers who uh, who joined the cause. They don't know who's behind the page, right. but you took the view that this rival page had it was going to turn off ordinary Egyptians because it had too strident a tone, and it was seen as too political, and you wanted to engage in a kind of activism that couldn't be dismissed as stride and, and political and that would reach ordinary Egyptians. Yeah, one, one big thing that, that happened after the death of Khaled Said is a lot of apolitical people uh, from the mainstream started to engage and they want to do something. And um, since I was not an activist, and I think that was a bliss uh, that I was not an activist, because I believe activists go through a lot of hard time through their experience. They go see prisons, they, they deal with the victims. Uh, you know, their, their view of the world is, is probably tougher and more depressing than the average person. So there happens sometimes a, a, a communication gap. Uh, this communication gap was very evident in the way politician, you know, oppression, uh, the, the, sorry, the, the, uh, you help the me, you opposition. Know, the opposition, sorry, my English is very bad. Uh, the opposition, uh, the opposition was failing to do. They were always communicating with people. They were not recruiting, rather they were just communicating with the people who were happy uh, with their messages. Uh, so unintentionally i wouldn't say it was the it was the plan probably after writing the book i started to discover and, and write that but unintentionally i was communicating uh, all all the time uh, as was the other administrator abdurrahman who joined me later with an i i never said we because i wanted people to feel i'm a person i'm just an ordinary person like you i have no ma plans and masterminds there are no 50 people sitting in the back uh, uh, you know plotting a conspiracy and deciding on what will uh, what will happen yeah. um, i used very normal terminologies i avoided words like the regime uh, i was very careful and i'm still very careful of making sure that m what i'm what I'm saying targets the mainstream, not those who are, uh, uh, I would say, the ultras. Even during, you know, I'm, I'm being criticized at the moment for not being revolutionary enough by many Egyptians. And I think I'm who I am. I'm speaking to the, to the people whom I want to speak with. Uh, and I'm just very neutral. And I think that helped a lot in, uh, in Kulina Khalid Said. And what, and you came up with, or someone came up with, a tactic which was you didn't want to have demonstrations and protests which were seen as noisy and ineffective and stirring up trouble. Instead, you did something else. What was that? You had another different tactic. Yeah, the first, the first time I called for a protest, I'm, I'm a person who's always scared, by the way, uh, who's always intimidated by the, um, the fact that police or you know, putting anyone's life in risk, especially if I called for, for an event that would put people in, uh, at risk. So I called for the first protest uh, in front of the Ministry of Interior Affairs. Very few people participated, the police. Uh, basically, uh, 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 we have a sandwich technique in Egypt. You know, uh, here are 200 protesters. They put 2,000 uh, uh, security forces, and they start, you know, sandwiching them, you know, pressuring them. Uh, and take one after another uh, out of the process and, you know, investigate or release. 
so I decided I'm not going to do um, uh, any, any of that stuff because if you bring apolitical people to the street and that's their first experience uh, and you put their lives in risk, first of all, they're not going to go back. They're going to think no hope. And second, you're going to scare much more people. And I think that was the regime strategy anyway. That's how dictators think. Uh, so, uh, beat the guy beside you so that you, know, you can help him. So, uh, um, so, one guy uh, from Alexandria, and that's one of the best things of the internet, I believe, was the wisdom of the crowds, in, at least in our experience. Uh, was how everyone uh, was helping. Uh, in fact, for example, there's this guy, I don't know, uh, I'm going to point my finger to him, Muhammad Ibrahim, can you raise your hand? So this guy, uh, uh, I worked with him for months. He never knew my real name, I never knew his real name, and he decided on creating an English version of Kulina Khalid Saeed page. So, uh, that was in, uh, uh, I think, about 20 days uh, from creating the page, or 10 days, I can't remember now. Um, so the beauty of, of the internet is that we have worked together and you know, we have all these chats, we chatted for hours and hours uh, over uh, the course of uh, months uh, uh, until the revolution happened and we never knew each other. Right after the revolution, I, I was like, you know, hey, I think it's, since now you know my name, I need to know who are you. <laughs> uh, it's about time to know who are you. Um, so collaboratively, that was amazing. One guy emailed me saying, you know, I have an idea. It was uh, Tuesday, uh, I believe, um, uh, we created a page on, uh, on, on Friday. On Tuesday, he emailed me saying, I have an idea. Why don't we go to the street um, uh, in, in the Corniche? Uh, there is a beach in Alexandria. So stand up, give your back to the, uh, give your back to the street. We're not communicating with any anyone. We're black and stand up and do nothing. And if we manage to bring thousands of people and spread them all over the, uh, all over the beach, we can send a very... Uh, uh, a very strong message by, by the silence. Um, I remember when the idea came, I was like, wow, this, is, this sounds like a very good idea. Why don't we ask the people? So I posted... Where did that idea come from, the silent stand? Yeah, it, it came from the guy. It, I, I, right. He is a 26 years okay. old. Uh, uh, his name is Muhammad. That's all what I know yeah. about him. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and he sent it. To the email, I read the email. I liked the idea. I took his last name because I didn't want to put his life in danger. Yeah. I said Muhammad, 26 years old, yeah. and I put his idea on the page and asked people, "What do you think?" Yeah. A great example of what the good thing about the internet is: you get instantaneous feedback. Yeah. So um, on Twitter, the activists were mocking it. I, I remember one guy is like, "You know, silent stand. Next time it's going to be with vibration. People are going to stand up <laughs> vibrating." Yeah. Uh, and and the point was, you know, if these if these people. If the regime is not, you know, is not scared from people who, who protest and curse them in public, are they going to be scared from a bunch of people who stand up in silence and then go home without doing anything? But as a matter of fact, it was very important because it was activation. It was getting those who are apolitical um, on, online, who are as non-confrontational as me as an individual, uh, to the street to take an action. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one, like thou, you know, I think a couple of thousand of people went to the street. It was amazing uh, uh, where people were standing. It was very emotional. It sent a very strong message to, uh, uh, not to the regime, which I care less uh, uh, about there, but to the, page, uh, to the page members. You know, only a couple of thousand uh, out of 150,000 uh, uh, participated. But when you publish the photos and the imagery and the videos and you create content around that, 
a lot of people started to trust who are these people right. and believe that they are not zombies. They're actually, there are lots of people who believe in, uh, in the cause. Yeah. How many people were viewing the web page at that time? Hundred around, there was about um, 100 to 150,000. Okay. And were you convinced at this point that you could and would remain anonymous? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then, but then you, in the book, you say things, you got a bit, uh, maybe a bit tired or things slowed down a bit in November and December or, or in, in October, November, December. It, it, you'd done the silent stands, but then things went quiet and then there was the bombing in <coughs> Alexandria, Skanderia. Uh, yeah, the, the, there were lots of moments of frustration. I remember one guy uh, who emailed me and Abdurrahman and we had a long discussion, the second admin, we had a very long discussion about his email. The guy told me, um, I have to tell you that uh, since I joined this page, I'm much more depressed than I have ever been in my life. I wished I would not have seen this page. It, it, it's, you know, truth hurts. People really... And, and that was the, you know, the attitude of the page. You are showing them all the crimes that are taking place in the country. You are basically showing the videos that say that this is unfair. And it was mainly, you know, mainly focused on the human rights. So if you are an average person who, who doesn't know what, what you are going to do, you are going to be, at the end of the day, feeling helpless and demotivated. Um, I remember we agreed, uh, okay, let's, let's do this thing. Let's uh, actually start a campaign of asking people what were the good things that happens to you, happened to you in 2001. So we published it at 12 a.m. in 1st of January 2011. And as soon as we published it, seven minutes right after, a bombing took place in Alexandria, and um, 23 uh, Egyptians who, uh, who were praying at the church, or going to pray at the church, uh, uh, died uh, on that night. And, you know, <laughs> we had to cover this and start and start going through another battle or another challenge. It, it was very frustrating that you don't see the light at the end of the uh, tunnel. Oh. There, it wasn't really clear. Um, but I believed we were doing something very important. The more, the more you get people uh, in, you know, engaged and included in knowing what is happening in this country, the more it's going to be harder for dictators to sustain their, you know, their positions. Right. And, uh, and this is why I... Regardless, I don't think the revolution was an internet revolution, but this is why I, I, uh, I think in April 2010, mm -hmm. I wrote that uh, uh, internet is going to change the face of politics in Egypt. 2011 is not going to be like 2005, referring to Hosni Mubarak, uh, uh, you know, when he was re-elected. It wasn't about, you know, reading future, rather than, I didn't think that the dinosaurs are going to be able to understand the tools. Uh, and understand the scale of what's going on in this country online as well as on the streets where people were protesting. And, and at this point, December 2010, the beginning of 2011, you, there, there are no sort of specific programmatic demands that the Facebook page is raising, is that right? Or it, it, except for uh, human rights, uh, dignity, um, this country is, is suffering, this kind of thing. Yeah, it was a, we're not an, an organization. There weren't, there weren't really any demands. We're just basically trying to make people own, uh, um, own the change campaign, that they are part of this campaign to change the country, and uh, getting people to understand that nothing is going to change until we basically move and do something about, uh, about this. 
as well as engaging them in multiple campaigns. So here we are in early January 2011. There's been a, a bombing outside a church in Alexandria, which looks like the most you know, depressing, demobilizing form of sectarian conflict. Uh, 20, 20, 20 days later, the 25th of January 2011, uh, hundreds of thousands of people are on the streets and, and there's a revolutionary process has begun. So what happened? You tell me, I don't know. <laughs> Um, on, on the night of, um, um, on, actually on the 13th first, when Ben Ali, uh, anyone Tunisian here? Oh wow, that's not cool. Okay, um, we're all Tunisians. <laughs> uh, on, on, um, on the 13th, something have completely changed in my own perspective. When Ben Ali said, I'm sorry. Um, we have, I've lived 30 years. I've never sen seen an Arab leader apologizing to his people. In fact, his first speech, he was basically saying, those are thugs, they want chaos, they are financed by you know, foreign, uh, 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 foreign agencies and so on. But on 13th, he said, I'm sorry, I understood you. Um, this moment was a very critical moment for me personally. Um, and at that, at that stage, I was like, I have to start talking about Tunisia strongly on the page. Abdurrahman was not there, so I started writing. I remember them, so I was like, I'm going to do a survey asking people, do you think we should cover Tunisia or not? And that was one, one very important aspect of the page. We always respected the opinion of the masses. When we created the English page, uh, a lot of people were angry, so we did a survey to ask people, you know, should we keep the English page or not? Because Egyptians are very sensitive about getting uh, uh, non-Egyptians involved in our business for various obvious reasons. And um, on 13th, you know, I was looking at the developments, I was thinking, this is going, something is, has to happen. Mm -hmm. On 14th, when, when he, you know, uh, left, uh, I remember the first uh, status I wrote, you know, uh, Ben Ali went to the, uh, to the historical trash can or whatever. Yeah, the dustbin of history. Yes, thanks, thanks. <laughs> You're such a great. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but please don't don't close the can because more more are coming. Um, a lot of people were, um, and and that's another thing I was really influenced by the comments. A lot of the people were saying we have to do it. You know, Tunisia is not better than us, and uh, and Egyptians are always proud. They think they are the leaders of the Arab world, and you all know the story. Um, so. I looked at the comments, Some I remember one sarcastic comment, if Bo Azizi died in Egypt, the admin of Khalid Saeed would have called for a silent, uh, a silent stand. You know, mocking the fact that the, you know, the real men of, you know, and men and women, sorry, uh, of Tunisia uh, have took to the streets to, you know, to topple the regime when this guy burnt himself. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in Egypt, the guy is going to call for a silent stand. Mm -hmm. So all of this, you know, started to come on me and I said, okay, I'm going to change, uh, you know, earlier uh, we were discussing doing a silent stand on the tw Jan 25th. Uh, mm. Abdurrahman suggested that we do something on uh, Jan 25th. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to call this event a revolution and see what happens. So I wrote, uh, you know, the Jan 25th, a revolution uh, on um, uh, poverty, in, uh, 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 injustice, and corruption. <coughs> 
Um, I don't know. And one, one more thing. Unemployment, I think. Thanks. Wow. And, and, I'm, and I'm really <laughs> impressed. But you chose the 25th. Why? No, because it was the first, uh, uh, the first coming obvious day where we had to do something. And because a lot of people were angry from the... From from the police, and I think you know a lot of people now are regretting it because they're saying we should have got two days, one you know two days off, the 25th and the other one. But it was a very obvious uh, obvious choice. I asked people on the page, uh, you know, tonight is the 14th, Jan 25th is in 10 days. If hundred thousands of us took to the streets, um, no one is going to stop us. Would we be able to do it? And how many are viewing the page at that point? Uh, 360,000, I believe. Okay. So the moment the event was created, it was very critical uh, that, uh, I'm basically burning the book by the way, I'm just saying the whole thing. Uh, it, was very, uh, it was very critical that no one was behind it. If people knew who I was at the time, I hardly think a couple of hundred of people would have responded on Facebook rather than actually going to the street because it wasn't really personalized. There was no political group behind it. As soon as it was published, it was very logical that everyone started to adopt, and not only that, to own. And from the 14th until the 25th, I think one of the best marketing campaigns ever that happened in Egypt uh, happened during the time. Everyone owned, uh, owned the, the invitation. Um, I remember one guy from uh, Upper Egypt, he took a photo of himself. He said, I printed uh, uh, 16,000 uh, invitations to ask people to talk to the streets and distribute them in, in, air, in, in, in the street. And here's my photo. And he gave me a photo of himself smiling with a bunch of uh, uh, printed uh, papers. So a lot of people started doing uh, a lot of things. And that's why I don't, it's, I don't like to take credit because a lot of people have, have done amazing work. And they have, they have done it because no one is after taking credit out of it. Otherwise, it would have been the typical 200 people, 300 people going to the street, standing up and, and uh, you know, raising their demands. And then uh, uh, you decided to return to Egypt at this point on the 23rd to participate. Uh, and that, that's quite a shift. You decided to, to get on the streets for the first time. Um, the shift happened already on, on the 14th. I think okay. uh, the, the psychological, there has been a, a sudden psychological shift from there is no hope, I don't know what should I do, I have a lot to lose, to I'm ready to sacrifice my life for this to happen. Whatever, I'm, I'm happy to pay the consequences. And it wasn't just me, I believe a lot of the people, if probably any Egyptians here was in the street on the 25th of January, understands that, that we were so... Uh, excited and passionate about this to happen, regardless of the consequences uh, that we have to uh, have to pay. And so, on the 25th itself, I think you say up until noon, nothing much had happened. Yeah. And then suddenly, the crowd started to appear. And were you were you surprised? Were you shocked? What, what happened at that point? I, I get the typical. All the typical mixed feelings at the very beginning. You know, I, I remember one, one of my friends is like, I'm, I'm at Mustafa Mahmoud, one of the destinations. I'm at Mustafa Mahmoud and there is no one here. You know, it's, all what I can see are people dressed in black, the, the security forces. Looks like nothing is going to happen. 
and then uh, I said, okay, I'm not going, going to go to this destination. I'm going to go to another one, which was supposed to be a huge uh, uh, protest by doctors and lawyers and, and so on. I went there. It was only a couple of hundred of people uh, doing the typical, you know, standing up on, on the side. The security forces were much more, and we were chanting, we want our rights, we want our rights. And then I started feeling a bit depressed, like, isn't it going to happen? Because I really thought it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. With the scale uh, of how everyone was very excited, the, mm -hmm. the, and, you know, the people were ready to sacrifice, mm -hmm. I, I saw it, but then on, on the street I started to question it. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe that was all uh, bluffing on Facebook. People are, were braver behind the screen writing. Mm -hmm. uh, but, of course, I started reading on Twitter, uh, you know, the tahrir, uh, momentum is growing and a lot of people yeah. are there and uh, we, we decided on breaking to right. to Tahrir okay. and then and then um, there are 18 days there are mass crowd actions all sorts of things happen and Mubarak is driven out of office uh, while he's imprisoned he comes out of prison after a number of days uh, he goes on national TV it's a significant moment um, then uh, I have to, but I'm gonna. I'm not gonna sell the. I'm not gonna give them the whole book right now because yeah, we perfect. haven't got time. And B, you know, we've reached a kind of cliffhanger moment. And and I think you'll just have to buy the book if you want to. Sorry, I don't know why I'm saying that. I'm not interested in. I'm not. I'm not a publicist for this book. But um, uh, but you know, it, it's a gripping social biography. We get a sense of a perspective on the build-up to a, a, an uprising through the eyes of, of, of somebody who, who played this role, as you've seen. But, there's, but we still have, a, I, I, I wanted to raise a number of, of questions just you know, to, to get to grips on this in some way. The first one, the, the role of social media then. Okay, so we heard a lot about the Facebook youth. I, I, I think few would suggest that, that they don't, they haven't, you know, it's, it's, it's surely significant what happened. I mean, you don't have, I mean, I think up to about two million were following the, the, the page and what you were saying by about the 10th of February from my memory in here. And oh, so, uh, less, uh, it, it was about one million okay. at that time. All right, one million, two million. And, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> So, Enough to create a problem. <laughs> but, it, but, you know, it's significant. And, of course, you felt under pressure, and there's all sorts of, of stuff in there that's interesting. But, but there's also, I mean, if we look at the developments in the region since about the 1990s, the state monopoly of the media is broken sometime in the 1990s, and you have satellite television, which is watched by tens of millions across the region, particularly Al Jazeera, and of course you also have social media and there are other kinds of media, new kinds of privately owned press uh, and there are other things that mobilize people as well. There are even social networks, there are, there are, there's a process whereby people go to funerals, they get shot at, this in Tunisia, you get shot at at a funeral, then you mobilize, you get shot at, more people come, it, it develops into a confrontation with the police and then it, it, it escalates. In this context, what's the role, what, you know, in your assessment, uh, what's the how can we uh, understand the, the role of social media in that? I mean, what about Al Jazeera and mm. these other ways in which people mobilize? Okay, so one of the reasons why I wrote, uh, I wrote the book uh, was that since I believe there was no leader in this revolution and there isn't a single point where you can actually hear most of the stories and understand, it is very important that every one of us write their experience and we connected in, in sort of a puzzle. I personally was not 
involved at all on the ground movement. I didn't really know what was, how the plan uh, uh, was going to happen in, on the street because I was waiting for one guy who didn't know who I was to send me the, the locations and I will take the locations and publish them. Mm. Um, so if you want to hear my, my view, it would be definitely biased because of my experience was mainly online. Mm. Um, I see basically that in all the revolutions, people have used communication tools and they have used them to the max. Internet was critical. It's a very nice tool because one, it allows many to many communications. Um, you know, uh, you can post something uh, that is interesting enough for one million people to watch uh, in a couple of days. Uh, so you've decentralized the mainstream media. That was very critical. The dissemination of information where no one is actually controlling and censoring mm -hmm. played a big role. Mm -hmm. And the second was, uh, it, it's, it's a very um, uh, personal emotional thing, is that once you feel that you are not alone, you are more encouraged. I believe a lot of people took to the streets on 25th because they felt this feeling. We were not alone. I mean, there is 100,000 people on that Facebook page said we're going to the streets. I'm going with, with the masses. So the feeling, you know, where, you know, there is the sense of unity uh, on, on the cause was, was playing a big role. And then the collaboration. Um, again, ideas were amazing. Uh, people come up with ideas and, uh, and tell everybody what to do. One guy creates a video that say, you know, what should you dress? You know, bring your, you know, sport shoes. Don't bring your, uh, your uh, wallet. And there were a lot of content being created online and then disseminated offline. And uh, finally, um, the, the whole, the Jan event was centralized uh, on the web. Yet, I would have to say that Jan 25 was the first protest. Mm -hmm. um, it was not the, the revolution. No. The revolution started from 28th, and the revolution was on the street, wasn't online. Mm -hmm. on, the online part did definitely help in you know, keeping the updates, informing people what is the reality on the ground and how were things developing. Mm -hmm. Yet, we cannot give the credit to, the, uh, uh, to it for the revolution. But sparking, uh, if Jan mm -hmm. 25, only 300 people stood in the street, or marched in the street, mm -hmm. no one would have gone to the street on Jan 28th, I believe. Right. But would a revolution have happened? Yeah, but you know, in, in a different form after a while, because Egypt was boiling and it was ready. Uh, there were about a thousand strike in 2010 by workers um, in, across different cities of, uh, of Egypt because they were not happy with their economical conditions. So that was going to happen anyway. It would have probably taken a different form, uh, would have been probably uh, uh, planned in a, diff in a different way. We would have seen different faces. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. again, I, you know, we, I, what I see now is uh, in, in all these discussions, people, people who like the new media and obsessed with it, like mm -hmm. me, I have to say, want to believe that the role is significant and important. Mm -hmm. And uh, others, for example, the, the socialist movements and mm -hmm. so on, want to believe that, you know, this is a joke, you know, nothing happened online and it's the people who took to the streets. Mm -hmm. And where's, where's the reality? I think it lies, be, you know, uh -huh. between both of us. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not social media have created this revolution. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the, in, the internet was, wasn't, was important and wasn't something to, uh, to ignore, just like the mobile devices. You know, I, I bet Nokia is, is not, you know, is not happy. Why, you know, why everyone is crediting Google, Facebook, and uh, and Twitter? And no one's talking about Nokia because phones played a big role in, in the revolution as well. I mean, is it your sense that uh, because there's one moment when Facebook suspend your page, don't they? Yeah. And and uh, and then you, but in the book you say it had nothing to do with politics; it was something else. But. Uh, 
You know, Facebook, by and large, has been associated with, I mean, leisure, consumption, big business, um, dating. It, it suddenly became political. Is it, so is it Facebook or is it a few, you know, courageous people who suddenly use it for new ends? Yes. I, I mean, it, it it's, at the end of the day, Facebook is a tool. So uh, uh, hmm. I remember, uh, should I say that? I remember one guy I met at Facebook, he's like, wow, you know, we never thought that Facebook would be used uh, in, in, in this kind of context rather than, you know, people who are looking for friends and, and, and you know, hmm. others to, to go out with. But uh, I believe that those basically are tools and it, it took people with, you know, with, with courage and, and brains to use these tools. I used the tool uh, for surveying throughout the whole period, uh, for surveying our users and asking about their feedback. I see someone sleeping already. Uh, and that tool, I was impressed. That tool was, was built by two, by two guys from their house. Um, and that tool was very, was, was very critical in, in our page. So again, it's not the tools, it's the people who, who use them. I mean, I'm stating the obvious. Uh, but let's yeah. not give a lot of credit to, uh, uh, to social networks. Right. Let's give credit to the people who were right. behind the social yeah. networks, to the people, the brave people who went, to, took to the streets and took all the risks. Right, because there's men and women from the popular quarters who don't necessarily have access to social media, who watched Al Jazeera, who were yep. enraged to see people being killed, who showed up on the streets. And was it them really who degraded the police. I mean, wasn't it quite a physical battle in the end, which actually uh, some of the online activists didn't particularly envisage. I mean, as you mentioned, you, you took a rose to try to win the police over. It wasn't me. Oh, it wasn't you? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, but, but the, I wouldn't but give a police That was part of rose. one of the plans was, no, but the idea was to, I mean, it, it, it's not a, you know, I'm not dismissing the idea that you try to win the police over, but what happened is, in some ways, they were defeated by, by a defensive form of, yeah. of popular force, by men and women from the popular quarters, by uh, downwardly mobile civil servants, by you know, workers from factories. Yeah, again, that's, that's exactly why I said, if we want to look at the critical role that the internet played, let's look at the until 20, Jan 25th. Mm. Um, I've seen people on, on the square on Jan 25th who, um, who joined because the smart activists, uh, there were a lot of brave and great activists uh, on that day who went to the poor, poor neighborhoods in Cairo and started the protests from there. Uh, they would, you know, they go as 200 people, start shouting, you know, uh, uh, for the demands, talking about, the, talking about economy and human rights, whatever touches the people's daily life. And those marshes brought tons of thousands of people to the square. Mm -hmm. Most of them would not really have uh, uh, internet access, would not really know what happens on Facebook, and probably mm -hmm. would not even know what is Facebook. Right. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I have a list of questions, but I'm only going to ask one more, because I think uh, the audience deserves their say. And, uh, but, but that one question is, is the one to do with there's something going on here whereby you wanted to remain anonymous hmm. and you didn't want to be a leader, you didn't want to lay down the doctrine and you weren't seeking to establish a party and you said you weren't political. And, um, and uh, so what, uh, and, and so this brings up the idea that what you're engaged in is a kind of 
what initially is called a leaderless kind of a movement, a network movement that relies on participation, a kind of Wikipedia-style revolution, as you mentioned at one point, because everybody uploads content, everybody participates in a different way. There's a wonderful passage, actually, in the book where, you know, electricians are bringing electricity <coughs> and plumbers are, are creating sanitation and sweep sweepers are sweeping and people are painting and, and doctors are attending the sick, you know, in Tahrir, in the sort of mini-city that Tahrir becomes. So everybody's participating in a certain way. Is this... Is this uh, uh, what pe you might call a leader-full kind of movement, because, you know, Wael was hailed by Time magazine, one of the most influential people in the world, and then he says, no, no, I'm not a hero, it's a leaderless kind of movement, and, and then people start debating his character, is he humble, is he arrogant, but the thing is, I, I don't want to have that debate, I think that's <laughs> irrelevant, I think the interesting question is, what, you know, is it a, a new kind of movement that doesn't have a doctrine, it doesn't have a party, it doesn't have a hierarchy, it relies on participation and organizing? And then if that's the case, say we, there must be an element of that, then do you build up a program that's more recognizably political with demands, you know, you've now started an NGO, uh, etc., and you've started a political movement, uh, entity, uh, do you sort of, is there a shift from leaderlessness towards politics over time or, you know, can you comment on that, on this kind of question? So I think the, the leaderless movement was, wasn't really planned. It was the DNA. That's just how it happened. Everyone took to the streets. There was no leader. Actually, the, as I said the, in, in the book, we're asking ourselves, where should we go? Where should we go? That was on the uh, midday, Jan, 20, uh, Jan 25th. What's going to happen next? We were debating inside the square, are we going to uh, sleep over in the square or, or not? It wasn't really planned. People were just debating inside the square. And from that moment, um, there has been a very like, uh, uh, sensitivity towards anyone who tries and you know, promote themselves as the guy and he's going to negotiate on behalf of people. Everyone who did this basically got, got out of the picture. I remember the Minister of Interior Affairs uh, uh, when when I went out, he was basically trying to convince me to tell the people enough. And uh, you know, you have now, you are wise and you are polite, and people are saying bad stuff about Mubarak and uh, and and all of that great great stuff. So I told him, um, if you think that this revolution is like a horse, and I'm the one who's going to ride this horse, uh, I'll I'll tell you, if I say anything to people that they don't like, they're going to kick me out of it, and probably you know, depends on what I say. Uh, yeah, um, shoot me dead or whatever, how you say it. Um, that, was, that was how it was orchestrated. And I think to a large extent that's how it is now. There, there isn't, you know, I, I would say this is a very positive thing. I believe that that is the best thing that happened. Uh, I either write a book and 10 years say I was wrong, or you know, you would write a book saying what well, was right um, about, about this. <laughs> Why? Because I, I think I think Egypt was Egypt is recovering from a very a model where uh, you have a dictator who who tells you that he's the best for the country. That happened starting from uh, a Nasser period. Sorry for anyone who loves Nasser. I, I'm I'm just talking about the political part of it. Um, and we do not want to have that again. We want everyone to be empowered. This is why when, when someone asks me, has have this, have this revolution been hijacked by, by Islamists? Mm. I, I think that uh, that is the wrong question to start with. Because we took to the streets to uh, 
give people the power to vote, something they have been denied to get for 60 years. We, were, we did not take to the streets to tell people we are the best, we are going to rule you, and we're going to change Egypt. I, at least I'm talking about myself. I, I, I did not take to the street because I was interested in, in power. I was interested in bringing back the power to the people. So by, by time now, over time, where there are institutions being built, I know there, there has been a lot of pessimistic views on, on, on what, what have happened in the last 12, uh, uh, 12 months. I'm, we can talk about that, but at the same time, we cannot um, miss, uh, you know, underestimate the amazing thing that happened in the last 12 months. We have basically done things that haven't have happened in the history of, of Egypt in the last 60 years. One of them is 27 million Egyptians for the first time in, in, in life, you know, stand in rows. That was one achievement. And the second is vote for, for their next, for, for whom they want to represent uh, in, in the parliament. And by doing that, we have done one thing. Uh, a political pressure group that we have started want to also institutionalize the fact, uh, for the first time I said institutionalized without problems. Um, we wanted to institutionalize the, the channeling of people's demands to those who are in power by creating a lobbying group. And we're evolving, we're recovering from, from this disease that we have been infected with for 60 years. It's gonna take time and we're gonna face a lot of challenges. The, l the last couple of months, I have to say, were horrible and, and uh, a lot of uh, people died and there were uh, um, unpleasant incidents. There are lots of challenges we're facing. But this is why I, m my view is very optimistic that we are, regardless of what's happening in the micro details, if you, you know, get out of the picture and look at it, we are on the right track as far as we're still keen, as far as Egypt, you know, a critical mass of Egyptians have broken the psychological barrier of fear, and as far as people are more engaged in, in, uh, in, in politics. And the last thing you know, uh, I, I, I noticed was when the, when the parliament session uh, was aired last, uh, last week, I was in a, uh, in a cafe, a coffee shop, uh, Egyptian coffee shop, and all the TV stations, all the TV, uh, um, I, uh, the LCDs were showing the session, and people were sitting down and watching it as if it's, uh, you know, uh, Barcelona playing against Real Madrid. <laughs> and so people are hungry, and uh, and they are no longer, you know, disengaged. That you know, this whole thing of oh no, this is this is their country. That was the very one of the very famous quotes: "El baladi baladhum." This is their country. You know, the, those 0.001 percent of the population governing and ruling us and telling us what to do, working with Uncle Sam and all the rest of the uncles. And uh, um, now it's, it's no longer the case. The, everyone is, is going to choose their president and their parliament uh, and are going to you know, assess and go after and monitor what they're doing. All right. So thank you very much. And so now we have... Uh, So we have half an hour for questions and answers. There must be a lot of questions. Uh, if you please give your name and your affiliation, and if you keep your, just ask one question and, and please keep it brief, because otherwise we won't be able to get everyone in. And there are roving microphones, uh, and so um, the floor's open. How about this gentleman? Should I retweet you, you or? Do you want to use the microphone? 
Hey, so my name is uh, Nimrod Kamer. I have 7,000 followers on uh, Twitter. And I wanted to ask, in America, they mainly use Facebook in order to protest against changes on Facebook. <laughs> Do you think Revolution 2.0 is going to end up the same? I, I, I didn't get the question. Can you rephrase he, it? He just, he just said, in the United States, Facebook is used only to protest things that happen on Facebook, i.e. it's not very effective or interesting. Is that the fate of Revolution 2.0 in Egypt? Yeah, so Revolution 2.0, by the way, has nothing to do with technology. The term doesn't mean that it's an internet revolution. Revolution 2.0, it's just a second version where it's leaderless, there's no Gandhi or Martin Luther King. Um, I think that... Uh, you know, the, if, if you look at the spectrum of revolutionaries now in Egypt, I, you know, if you look at a graph, you will see the typical. Uh, there are 10% who are extremely unhappy uh, and, you know, think that the revolution has been hijacked and probably another 10% on, on the other side that think everything is great, we have done, mission accomplished, what are you guys doing? And then in the middle, there are people who, you know, vary their views uh, on, you know, the current, the current uh, status. As soon as Egypt elects its new president in a fair and democratic election, and the constitution is being written, what follows next is achieving the demands of, uh, of the revolution. And that's why we have a term, Thawra Mustamera, revolution continues. Because we did not revolt to just replace an individual with an individual, even if they were elected. We revolted to achieve the, the goals. We want you know, a country that is free, democratic, and uh, we want social justice so that the one out of every two Egyptians who live under $2 a day have a better life. Okay. So this, it's, it's going to take time. We'll keep revolting, <laughs> definitely. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep working and, and channeling our demands using, using, different, uh, using different methods. Uh, and it will continue for a while. Okay. Not on Facebook, though. There was a though. question here, this gentleman. The most you ever Yeah. Assalamu alaikum. Um, uh, I, have, um, I have a question. First of all, thanks for the very entertaining and engaging uh, lecture. Um, like, oh, okay, sorry. Um, in 25th January, um, the revolution started and Mubarak left. And obviously he was now replaced by his defense minister and, and the council that he appointed. Um, so one year on, what's your um, analysis of the situation in Egypt? And, and, and are you personally doing anything to you know, to, to continue the revolution. Thank you so as I said, we have achieved a lot of things. If someone tells me this is going to happen in Egypt 13 months ago, I will say, you know, you need to see a doctor. Uh, and at the same time, we haven't completed the main goal, which is a complete transition of power and recover from uh, 60 years of military rule. And if one thing that was, should have been the most critical thing on 11th of February, that was, that was it. Um, if, if, if I go back, if someone tells me what was the biggest mistake, the biggest mistake was that we didn't work together to make sure that the transition of power happens in six months. Because by the way, most of the problems in Egypt happen after those six months. Uh, I believe that uh, we all have, to, it's not just about me, because it's a leaderless, right? We, we agree. Uh, so we all have to work on making sure that um, the army is going to be uh, Back to their uh, sakanat, the ulhali bataf together. They go back to their barracks, barracks, barracks. Yes. <laughs> uh, so the army, the army goes back to what he said, and 
<laughs> and, um, and, and we have a president and we write a constitution that ensures that Egypt is going to be democratic. Uh, if you have heard of the movement, we just started the lobbying group. The only one file we're working on now is handing over power from a military to an elected president and the parliament as, as we have now. Okay. There's, there's the lady up there in red. Assalamu uh. alaikum. Um, my name is um, Ihsan Mohammed. I am an Egyptian living um, in London all, all my life. And um, I just heard, uh, I, I heard about the movement called Masrina. And I wanted to ask how does Masrina have any future plans for providing a channel um, between Egyptians abroad and Egyptians inside Egypt um, so that we can knowledge share both ways? How can Egyptians abroad take part in rebuilding Egypt? So we just started the movement uh, in less than uh, one month ago. It started with the fact that we have to unite because we see a lot of polarization taking place. So we got an Islamist, a socialist, a uh, liberal, uh, you know, um, a cat lover, and all sorts of <laughs> Egyptians together and say, hey, listen, this country has have to progress. Definitely, uh, we want to start working with uh, Egyptian expats because we believe a lot of those uh, uh, Egyptians have a lot of value to bring back home. I met on the plane, I met uh, uh, an expert in constitutions. He, uh, he teaches in, in the UK here, and he said, I'm happy to do whatever you guys want. Uh, I've, you know, I've, I teach constitutions for a living, you know, how to, uh, to write constitutions for a living. Um, the only challenges we have been swamped in the, in the past uh, few weeks and activities uh, related to Taslim al-Sulta, to handing over the, the power. As soon as we figure out how the DNA of the movement works, because it's currently uh, virtual that has act, you know, activities on the street, as soon as we, um, we work on the right DNA set up for the movement, because we got 25,000 members or 26,000 members so far registered uh, uh, on, uh, in the movement, once we do that, we will figure out how to work in, in different uh, uh, countries. But this was built to stay for four years. It's not like a five-month project. And its job is to actually not to keep protesting and saying we don't like this, but actually to work collaboratively. All of us work collaboratively on one, prioritizing what matters for the Egyptians, and second, propose solutions. So definitely we will need your help. No tough questions so far. Um, hi, my name is. No, uh, I'm happy. <laughs> Sorry. My name is Sarah, and I'm, I suppose, a, an Egyptian part of the Egyptian diaspora, um, living in London. Um, my question is, um, what do you think of some of the tactics of some of the revolutionary activists at the moment? Do you? think they're in danger or maybe they already have of alienating themselves from the, the sort of mass, um, the mass populace. I'm thinking mainly about the sort of wanting to boycott the elections or the sort of continued occupation. Do you feel that these tactics are useful anymore or do you feel that maybe they're in danger of alienating themselves? So here we start the problems. Okay, <laughs> no one tweets about that. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, I, I think because of the nature of the revolution, uh, which was, again, leaderless, and, and there was no certain uh, ideology or direction that it took uh, throughout the 18 days. You, you haven't seen, you know, uh, 
you know, it wasn't like a, a socialist movement uh, taking, taking charge and so on. I am not in a position to judge on what people are doing. And at the same time, I do appreciate the opposite way. I, I really think that everyone who's working um, and believe in what they are doing and, uh, uh, and helping the cause, th that would be fine. I'm not in the position of, of judging on them. I do worry about what you have said, the mainstream. Uh, basically, this was a popular revolution. People did not took to the streets with with the K seventeen whatever the weapons I don't know that right. you know and trying to force their opinion we are going to rule this country you know the old regime is over it was a po very popular revolution where you know the the you know the kids uh, kept begging their moms and dads to go to the Tahrir Square this is this is how it was and this has to be maintained people have to be on the side with the side of the revolution and that cannot be. Uh, by alienating them, and this is why um, uh, one of the one of the objectives of of the movement is to introduce new techniques and work with the masses on changing their perception. Because people in Egypt, there has been like a lot of uh, people saying, "Oh, people hate the revolution now." I don't think people hate the revolution. They will hate the revolution when I hear the masses saying, "We want Gamal Mubarak back," or you know, "We want Mubarak back." As soon as they say that, they hate the revolution. They actually probably hate. Uh, or they don't like the approach and the attitude of some of the revolutionaries, or they don't like uh, some of the means uh, of you know their the way they channel their demands. But I have to say also there was a lot of uh, incidents that took place in the past few months that would that was mainly the reason for the rage of many activists. Um, I just fear that this was mainly used to uh, to do the separation. It's very dangerous that a popular revolution use lose the public support. Uh, we will not manage to, uh, to reach our, our goals by then. But anyway, it, looking, you know, looking at the, the one year, I think most of the actions were irrelevant. You know, the big picture always remains the big picture. Uh, people said Egyptians hated the revolution. When people saw the humiliation that took place in Muhammad Mahmoud, on a Tuesday, you know, the Tahrir Square was full without even an invitation. Uh, people know when it's the right moment uh, to protest and say no, this is enough, this is wrong, I don't agree. And when it's, uh, you know, when there are moments where it's, you know, okay, I don't think, I don't think it's, it's, the, it's that critical. Did yeah. I answer the question? Okay, there's some gentleman at the back. Gentleman in the front. Okay. Assalamu uh, alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, uh, I'm uh, Egyptian and uh, I was feeling of the sandwich you talked about for 10 years. <laughs> so Did you I, enjoy it? <laughs> so I gave up, I came to London for that. Uh, thanks first because you are one of the first people I met, uh, they were in Tahrir Square and they are not leaders because I met, a, I met a lot of people and all of them they claim they are the leaders of the revolution. Uh, my question uh, is uh, simply that I met a lot of people and they, when they look retrospectively, uh, they think that it was a mistake that we left Tahrir Square. And that could be related to what you said, that the, um, the revolution was re uh, readerless. Do you think that uh, something we should uh, look back at it and uh, maybe change? Because when I went to Tahrir Square in December, I found a lot of people, a lot of activists, they were intimidating again by the security 
arrested, uh, their family were uh, also intimidated. So what do you think about that? Thank you. As I just said, I think the biggest mistake we have done is that we didn't focus on, uh, on what was the highest priority at the time, which was the making sure that it's only six months. Um, would, would we have remained in Tahrir? I think this, uh, this was never the choice of me or you. That was the choice of the people protesting. And um, I believe as time goes back, most of the Egyptians would have gone home and think that this was uh, uh, enough. If, you know, if it doesn't really change, if uh, 500 activists would remain in the square or you know, 1,000 activists would have remained in the square, because we have seen that happening all over the, the past few months. You know, the, the massive change happens when, when a, a huge number of people protest. On Tuesday, that Muhammad Mahmoud day, when everyone was, uh, how many days have, we, have you been asking, we need a roadmap for the president, you know, uh, presidency elections? We've been asking for over, uh, over four months. I worked with uh, six of my colleagues on bringing all the presidential candidates together. And they met, they agreed on a document. They sent the document to SCAF saying, we need to know uh, when is the presidential elections. We have to meet with you. And SCAF did not even respond to them. Um, nothing have happened. They appeared on TV saying, oh, you know, the election is going to be in 2013, in September. When the majority of the Egyptians were very angry when they took to the street without protesting, without, uh, sorry, without, uh, 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 without a sit-in. It took only one day for, you know, the Marshal Tantawi to appear on TV and say the presidential election is going to take place on June. So is this November 2011? Yeah, yeah, that was in November. Yeah. Sorry, uh, 2000, November 2011. Yeah. So again, it's not really my, my job or your job uh, to, to think that you know, people, are gonna, people are not going to sit in because Wael said or because what Ahmed said or Muhammad said because if they genuinely believe that this is the right choice and we have seen examples by the way where some of the leaders or you know, sought to be leaders um, have asked people to go and, and you know, participate in the sit-in and nothing have happened you know, again, it's, it's, it's a very complicated what, what is happening now is very complicated and, I, and this is why I'm not very... Um, Opinionated about it. I think there are different views. Some people think that the aggressive, uh, the aggressive activists are hurting the revolutions. On the other side, a lot of people think that this aggressive mode is very important to maintain the revolution and to keep it to keep it alive. All of these arguments really doesn't doesn't matter at the moment. We should look at the future, and the future tells us we have to make sure that Egypt elects a new president as soon as possible. We have to make sure that we have a constitution that does not bring back. Uh, um, um, you know, uh, a Mubarak regime in a different shape. Mm -hmm. Okay, lady at the front. <clears throat> Thanks. Hi, um, I'm Mariam Cook. I'm a former communications student of the LSE. Um, I have a social media question, or two kind of uh, questions. The well, first one. one I'm Sorry? <laughs> You're only allowed one. Well, okay. Um, well, <laughs> very strict. I was briefly going to say that um, I'd be interested to hear more about the Facebook page um, censorship that you experienced. Um, but my main question was around um, the... Uh, That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, was around uh, the uh, evolution of Google Plus and your views on how it's dealing with identity, given that um, if people are tied to using their real names, 
the uh, success that you've achieved with online activism would not have happened. And I wondered how closely you might be advising the Google Plus engineers on the use of pseudonyms and the protection of privacy and identity. Okay. So what was the first question? <laughs> I'm going to answer the first one. Uh, so, uh, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm not a Google employee now. I'm going to leave, so I'm not allowed to comment officially on, on, uh, on Google policies. Um, one technical thing I have to say, I wrote with my real name on, on Facebook. The problem only happens when the page has to have an owner where you can see who is the owner. So I had my own personal Facebook account where I have my friends. I talked... You know, I cracked a lot of jokes about Mubarak and the elections, and that was fine. Uh, because the dictators are not after, you know, individuals discussing with their friends, you know, how bad the situation is or, you know, cracking jokes or, you know, even saying the worst things. Dictators are after those who do any organized activities that would threaten their positions. So um, on the Facebook page... And I, I'm not sure if Google Plus pages uh, reacts the same way. I, I, haven't, I don't have a page on, uh, on Google Plus. Um, so on, on, on the Facebook page, you can hide your administration identity. So I'm fine, as, as, as far as I was concerned personally, I was fine with Facebook administration knowing, because definitely they, they know I communicate. I log in with my personal account and use it. I just did not want my account to be in public. And at the same time, as, as an individual, I do not want the Egyptian, as far as I'm not uh, uh, breaking the terms and, of, and, and you know, conditions of uh, Facebook, I did not want the Egyptian government to send a mail to Facebook or you know, to send an inquiry to Facebook and say, who is the owner of this page? And they respond back with my identity. Those are the two things I was concerned about. But Facebook, knowing who, I, you know, who am I, I mean, this happens and they, you know, they are good engineers and they can get my IP and know, and know where I'm from and, and all the information. So the fact that you, know, you have to log in with your real identity is, is, is not against you know, having a page where you just hide that you are the, uh, the owner of the, of the page. Okay. No, I'm sorry, we have to. I'm sorry. This gentleman over here. Uh, um, my name is Muhammad Ta. I'm from BBC World Service. And I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to وفخور طبعا ببدأك ودعوتك للثورة لكن انت قلت في سياق حديثك ان الثورة مختطفتش من الاسلاميين في نقطتين حابب انت تعلق عليهم اول نقطة اول نقطة يعني من بعد 11 فبراير فين دور الشباب بتوع الانترنت في مظاهر كتيرة موجودة في مصر زي غياب الامن والوضع الاقتصادي المتدهور والبلد اللي حالها بقى اسوأ كتير من قبل الثورة فين هذا الزخم بتاع شباب الانترنت اللي ظهر في في تفجير الثورة راح فين والحاجة التانية فينكو فيما تعلق بالمجال السياسي يعني يعني الشباب اللي انخرطوا في الثورة وعملوا الثورة بعدوا كتير عن السياسة مما جعل ربما الإسلاميين يختطفوها شكرا That what else says that he's showing off his Arabic abilities, I believe. 
No, I mean, what else says in his book that the Islamists haven't hijacked the revolution, and yet, uh, what happened to all those uh, young, the youth, when it came to operating on the political and social scene since February the 11th? And, and also he asked about the, where's the role of the youth in, in the problems of economy and, and security. Yeah. See, my hair, it's not that good. <laughs> no, it is. Uh, so... The first, so I think the, the whole concept of hijacking, I, I remember having a, a, a discussion with someone who told me that the revolution has been hijacked because the, the Islamists took power. So I looked at him and I was like, you know, don't you think that it would, be, it would have been a brilliant idea to keep Hosni Mubarak in, in power? Because that's exactly the same argument he had been using for over 20 years. He was oppressing the Egyptians, telling uh, Uncle Sam and the rest that... Listen, if there is true democracy in this country, Islamists are going to take over. And they are going to, you know, because they are the most organized and people trust them. And they have been working with the people for, for so many years. Uh, I believe that this is the best thing that happened in Egypt. The people have chosen who represent them. And if they were happy with what their performance, if the majority of the Egyptians were happy with their performance in five years and re-elects them, and, you know, they managed to, you know, help those, you know, the guy I met in, in the street, you know... Uh, sleeping on, on his apartment for, for three months because he could not do, uh, his leg is broken and he does not have the money to, uh, to go to the hospital. If they fix these problems and people re-elect them, then I'll be the happiest person on earth. And I also think if they fail, and which is something I do not want to happen, people are going to be smart enough to change their choices since it's, it's, they have the choice to do it. Uh, most of the young people who took to the streets were not organized. It's, it was very easy to dismantle a system. It's very hard to build one. Uh, to dismantle, you know, if, if you have a building, you get, you know, some real strong men and, you know, keep knocking it, it goes, it goes off. But to build it, you need engineers, you need consultants, and you need a group of talented people to build it. Uh, or, as I say, it turns out that it was easier to get out of the nightmare than to start dreaming. And this is why you know, we are going through this, uh, uh, this stage. We have done mistakes in the past 12 months, as you've mentioned, by not being actively involved in, in, in the change, but that has nothing to do with the elections, because I think the elections would have gone the same way anyway, regardless of, you know, how you do. Because the election game is, is completely, it's, it's a completely different game. It requires mass reach, which is something that is now because those, you know, uh, uh, you know the groups like Muslim Brothers and so on have, have been working for, for years and years uh, with the people on the ground and people do trust them and people do think that they, they you know, are, you know, they are people that deserve to, to be governing them. So that wouldn't have, uh, have changed. But actually, looking at some of the bright sides, we have uh, a bunch of young Egyptians. There's a 27-year-old Egyptian in, uh, uh, in the parliament for the first time in our, uh, in our history, the youngest Egyptian. And by the way, he comes from a Salafi uh, party. He's, he's from Al Nur party, which is a Salafi party. Uh, there is Mustafa Nagar, which is someone I talked about in the book who had been elected, Ziad al-Alami. And they are very active uh, in, in the parliament now doing... Today there was a march to the, to the parliament and we handed over, I wasn't there but I'd like to claim credit, we handed over uh, uh, demand for the parliament to make sure that the elections happened before the constitution. So it's, it's happening and evolving, probably not at the pace me and you would, would like to see. All right, we do one, just one very last quick question. By the way, I'm happy to stay right more, but he, uh, he doesn't want to. No, well, I, I'd love to, but... Uh, it's right at the top, on, at the back, on the left, on the my left. 
no political implication <laughs> intended. So my name is Ferhat Erdo, I'm half Turkish and I'm half Swiss. Um, I don't know if you know something about the Greater Middle East project. Uh, Condoleezza Rice mentioned, mentioned it in the Middle East Forum in Israel in 2005. She said that the borders of, from around 20 countries will change in the future, like ex-Yugoslavia in ethnic groups. She said this in 2005. Um, Turkey's president, for, exa for example, has a role in that project for the US interests. What do you think about that project in terms of the uh, revolutions in the Middle East? And do you have also a role in, in that project? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, actually, that's a very uh, nice question because I, I, the, the people who... I remember on, on uh, Feb 8th when I came out of the prison, I looked at the page and a lot of the comments, thousands, were basically saying that the Egyptian revolution is a plot and it was planned by the CIA and the Mossad and other forces. And of course the Russians loved to believe that. Um, and they quoted the, this, uh, uh, this project. I think what is happening now in, in the region, if we look at the big picture, what is happening now in the region is a disaster to the foreign policy of the US. Uh, basically, they're they losing their allies. That's my opinion. You probably disagree, but that's my opinion. They're losing their allies. They see that the shape of the region is changing in a form where you have to respect the masses. Uh, I remember Thomas Friedman wrote in, uh, in, uh, in April, um, uh, a, I think a letter to, uh, to Israel or something like that, where he said, um, it's no longer the case that you can pick up your phone and talk to Mubarak to end the problem with Egypt. This is not going to happen anymore. Um, we are now into real politics where the public, the Egyptian public, is involved in, in how the foreign policy, not just with Israel, but with the rest of the world, will be shaped. That's one thing. Uh, the second is, um, after every big impact, impactful thing that happens in our lives as individuals and as, uh, uh, you know, as human beings. Since it's so big, a lot of people start questioning that it's a conspiracy. Look at any big event. I mean, a lot of uh, people uh, look at revolutions that took place. Uh, I was reading that a lot of Egyptians th thought that the 1919 revolution was a conspiracy and it was planned. I was reading a book by the ex-minister of, uh, 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 the ex-minister of interior affairs um, in 1951 who, uh, during, during the, the 1952 revolution, who said that he thinks that Abdel Nasser was a plot by the Americans uh, in order to basically topple the regime and create a regime that is very friendly to, uh, uh, to the West. Um, so, again, after every, every biggest event, uh, there, there are a lot of conspiracies. As far as I know, I have never met a U.S. politician uh, before the revolution. I have, you know, shaked hands with one after the revolution uh, because it was a public place. And I'm not involved in any projects. <laughs> Had it been in uh, private? Would you I'm not paid or volunteered in any projects of this kind. And I think that... For me, you know, if it comes from non-Egyptians, that's fine. But when, whenever I hear an Egyptian talking about a conspiracy, I tell him one thing. It's such a shame that you think that the people of Egypt cannot really do miracles. Because we have done a miracle. <laughs>